Welcome to the program, everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and I want to welcome you to another exciting edition of Psychotic Bump School. So, ladies and gentlemen, tonight, oh, we have an amazingly full show. We got a full house coming through tonight about, let's see, one, two, three, four, five guests are stopping through the school tonight, and one of them is here for the very first time, so check out this lineup, y'all. We're going to be having back uh, some fellas who were here a couple of weeks ago. We're going to be breaking down some more statistics in lieu of this weekend's debut entertainment features, not limited to Chris Rock's Selective Outrage, and of course, Michael B. Jordan's Creed Three, now available in a theater near you. And we're gonna have an all California panel this time, y'all. Jeffrey Keller is back, Glenn Boyd is back, and of course, the good brother, Mr. Jamal Jones is back. And we're gonna be talking about this, y'all. What is this nonsense about dudes being corny in the black community, and what does that say? about the brothers in the black community. We're gonna be talking to Jeff, Glenn, and Jamal about that. Also tonight, it's my pleasure to welcome back our good sister, Emily Wessel. Emily Wessel is a mental health therapist in Southern California by way of the DMV, by way of Dayton, Ohio. And Dayton, Ohio is the topic for this evening as we welcome our very first time guest, Mr. Joseph Carradin. Joseph Carradin is a co-creator of the Funk Box. Now, the funk box, if that sounds familiar, is associated with our previous guest, David Webb, who is the founder and CEO of the Funk Music Hall of Fame and Exhibition Center in Dayton, Ohio. Well, he's collaborated with Tessalit Studios, which is where Joseph Carradine stems from, and they created this mobile entertainment system called the Funk Box that made his debut very, very recently, and hopefully we're going to be seeing more about this and hearing about it as the days come along. So Emily is going to be joining me to talk to Mr. Joseph Carradine about the Funk Box. So that's going to be our lineup, and you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're going to kick off our show with the fellas, y'all. Jamal, Jeff, and Glenn. After this. Yeah, this is Jeff Keller from the Pocho Hour Power on KPFK 90.7 FM, and you're listening to the Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Oh, yeah. It's that time. Things just ain't the same for young Jermaine, still underrated, but far from underpaid. And though some problems did fade, the hunger stayed. These stomach rumbles could humble thunder. Uh, I'm still fueled by the ones that slumber, to stand out amongst the one-hit wonders. So when the dust settles and the sun is under the horizon, y'all should run the numbers. Uh, who the won't what with me? Heart is out, and I say that reluctantly, cause it should go without saying, but y'all playing dumb. Far as these rappers go, I'm not fearing none. Cold flow is cold any genre with many combinations shoot like that boy sponsored by under armor reach you a goner arms crossed and coughing like you was from wakanda god's favorite accumulated a ton of karma as seen by me thumbing through green i become a gardener pulling up in a supercharger me and two things like a double entendre won't be from a number nine combo not one designer in my ensemble you're tuned to the realest maybe they ever spill his heart until it's drained feel his pain trust 16 ain't enough to do it justice just cop the fall off and he'll explain is it the end of the chapter happily ever after bet it's gonna be the year that fulfill his reign man okay we are back kcwg the truth.com 
This program is called Psychotic Bum School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, have we come off of an eventful weekend or what? Try not too much to be governed by the things that develop in the world of entertainment, but there are certain things that just absolutely resonate across the country, no matter what walk of life you're in. And they are definitely relevant to this show. We had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with our returning panelists who I'm about to reintroduce to you in just a second that spoke about the actual statistics involving black men. We broke down some tropes to their final compound and we made true and factual that which had been long established through research, data, analysis, and confirmed and verified sources. And so I just kind of put it out there uh, knowing full well that there would be some detractors who would doubt it, but nevertheless, we broke it down. And uh, these cats are back again this weekend. And I want to have a conversation with them continuing that thread, but also <laughs> in the context of two major, major releases in the world of entertainment, Creed 3 and Chris Rock's Selective Outrage. Oh my God, so much to talk about. Uh, I want to welcome back our panelists and they're all from California tonight, y'all. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good brothers, Glenn Boyd, Jamal Jones, and Jeffrey Keller. Glenn, Jamal, Jeffrey, are you back? What's happening, everybody? Cool right, brother and the gang. Glenn <laughs> in the house. Jeffrey <laughs> in the house. What's going on, fellas? So uh, shouts out for the corny guys. And <laughs> why do I say that? See, the thing that makes these two stories so intertwined for me is that Chris Rock has always been, long been associated with sort of the underdog, someone that was teased and bullied in school. And he's outwardly admitted in previous routines, right, Jeff? I mean, he's made yeah. about it. He's had a whole TV show called Everybody Hates Chris. And so this has been a real thing. Did you guys happen to see in the news uh, with uh, or heard about the interview that Michael B. Jordan, the star of Creed 3, now available in theaters near you. Uh, Creed 3 is out, y'all. Um, he was interviewed by a woman named L'Oreal <laughs> uh, with, with her yellow hair and everything. God bless her. And, you know, we know each other. We go way back all the way to Chad Science in Newark, okay? Corny kid, right? <laughs> no, I did not say that. Misquoted for sure. Michael B. Jordan calls out a former classmate for making fun of him, and it is awkward. Oh, y'all trying to start drama over here. The whole thing went down on the red carpet at a screening of Michael's flick, Creed 3 in Atlanta, after he was approached for an interview by L'Oreal, the host of The Morning Hustle Show, who reminded him they grew up together. And you know, we know each other. We go way back all the way to Chad Science in Newark, okay? Corny kid, right? <laughs> no, I did not say that, misquoted for sure. No, you did not hear me say, I said we used to make fun of the name, but yeah, he is obviously killing things out here. Yeah, so that corny comment comes from a 2021 episode of the Undressing Room podcast, where L'Oreal, her co-host Eva Marcial, and Dominique Dediva talked about the actor. I think that Michael B. Jordan is just like a nice, corny guy. And I don't mean that as a slight, right? I mean, we all know that the nice, corny guys treat you the best. To be fair, it was actually Eva who called Michael corny, but L'Oreal did admit that in high school, she used to make fun of him. To be honest with you, we teased him all the damn time because his yeah. name was Michael Jordan. Like, <laughs> let, like, let's start there. And he was no Michael Jordan. And then he also 
would come to school with headshots. We lived in Newark. Yeah. Like that, that's the hood. You know what I mean? So it, it, we would make fun of him. Like, what you got to do with your little stupid headshots? Like, and now look at <laughs> him. Now look at him. First of all, what's wrong with being corny? And <laughs> how is it that that has ever been associated with something that's complimentary? Complimentary with an I. There's nothing been flattering associated with being called corny or called homie. You know, anybody ever, I used to go outside when I was a kid and play in the neighborhood. But when I was a kid, about 10 of my friends moved away. 10, double digits. So I got to a point in like middle school, high school, I wasn't going outside no more because all the homies were gone. And so sure enough, it got around that people who lived on my street who, you know, I would know from high school, they would say, oh, he's homie. He don't never come outside. It's like, because I don't like y'all. <laughs> You know, on the real, I don't like y'all. I don't know y'all. My friends moved away. And so there's nothing ever positive been associated with being labeled as the corny guy. Chris Rock has also always been labeled as the corny guy. That's why it was so upsetting that a big guy like Will Smith, who quiet as kept, it's not really quiet. He's the corny guy too, y'all. I mean, that's what's kind of missing in this. He's bigger than Chris Rock, but Will Smith has always been intimidated living in the shadow of Tupac Shakur you know, at least in the eyes of uh, Jada Pinkett Smith. And so the reason why I'm talking about this, ladies and gentlemen, and as we're laying out all these things as it relates to Black men and our standing and our relationships, I think it's important to establish the facts of what we really are and what we're really doing in this community. But this is what I'm talking about. We had a guest on here uh, a few years ago, we're actually almost three years out from the passing of Nipsey Hussle. And I know I'm all over the place uh, panel, but stay with me on this. We're about three years removed from the passing of Nipsey Hussle. We had a guest on here named Raina Royale. Okay. And she was actually classmates with the late Nipsey Hussle when she was in middle school. And he was in classes with her when they had advanced placement magnet classes. Now, keeping in mind how L'Oreal interacted with Michael B. Jordan, Look at this interaction right here. And you can actually hear this full interview, not this interview, this is Rock Nation. So I wasn't here, ladies and gentlemen, what you're about to hear and Jamal, Jeff and uh, Glenn, what you're about to see. I wasn't there, but I interviewed this woman right here that you're about to hear from. Her name is Raina Royale and she was reflecting on her time. She got one of these final interviews before Nipsey Hussle was taken from us. So stand by. Okay, just that little bit. Look at the smile on his face. Audience, I know you can't see this, but these were childhood classmates as well. Now, she didn't go up to him saying, hey, I recognize you. you know, he came to her and stepped to her and said, hey, do you remember me? I'm Nipsey freaking Hustle. <laughs> and he was still humble enough to say, do you remember me? You know what I mean? And so the idea is that it's all in how you approach and respect men in general. And you don't have to be so condescending even after someone has established themselves, made it. And I bring this up and I know I'm coming full circle. I'm gonna turn it to the panel. Nipsey Hussle was not Nipsey Hussle back in the day. He was Armaius, okay? Uh, I'll share a link to the interview that I did with Reyna Royale, but she talked about the fact that he was just a smart guy, but he wasn't really, um, he wasn't gangbanging. 
you know, in middle school. He had to choose once he got to high school because he wasn't playing sports. He wasn't an athlete. He didn't have that kind of swag. But once he got to high school, he did have to choose a side. And so when you are considered to be the quiet dude, the quiet dude maybe who's taking care of business, the quiet dude who's functioning on his purpose and focus on his purpose, I should say, you're not always given the benefit of the doubt of being a suitable, viable partner. But it's those cats that really comprise the 50% of 57% of black men that don't have children. It's those guys that constitute the majority of good, positive black men in this country. But yet and still, so many sisters claim that they have trouble finding them. There's Michael B. Jordans everywhere. There are Nipsey Hussles everywhere. But are the sisters seeing them, though? I'm kind of all over the place right now, but I'm going to turn it over to the panel. Jeff, Jamal, Glenn, we're talking about the corny guy, this perception that Michael B. Jordan, now that he's made it, uh, is still dealing with this today, modern day. This just happened this week. And I was I just mean, and contrasting that with how it could be done in a situation where there's a lot more respect shown to the struggles of a black man. Glenn, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, define what corny is to you, right? Because if we're going right. to say, when I, like to your point, it is often a negative, but if you're you know, um, and now that I'm older, I understand, right? Because I was in school too. So the, the corny kids would have got clowned, right? And corny in, in that case was just like, not cool. You weren't up on what was going on. And right. as a kid, it's, mess, it's messed up because you don't necessarily have the influence to know or the exposure to know. You're just kind of, you have what you have, right? So school, as far as money, you know, even lunch was currency in kids. So you just have what you have. So that's kind of unfair. But to that point of being corny, like, what does it mean to you? I know Russell Wilson gets the corny tag. I know, you know, guys who get uh, it, but the unfortunate part is if I'm keeping it real, like it does seem kind of corny, just meaning you're not cool, man. Like being a good dad and a good husband, all that, you can have that and not be corny. So mm. if you're attracted to the, you know, more traditional AKA squared up guy, that's cool too. I don't know. Um, it's kind of just hard to say like is that the only reason you're not finding a mate if that's really what you want um because you're corny like it's just tough like what does it mean to you not just mm -hmm. you're successful and work hard because it's that's unfair it's making it you know what does corny mean i think that that's a that's a fair question i know you're asking sort of uh you're posing it rhetorically but what does it mean because jamal and jeff and other in other communities and other demographics being corny is good enough and that's why most of those men are married to their women in those other communities. It's not the only factor, to Glenn's point, it's not the only factor, you know, but uh, before I go to Jamal, Jeff, you played in the NFL, man. You you, you, you probably had some swagger because you made it, bro. You know what I'm saying? So what are your thoughts on this and the, the, the fact that certain guys are given uh, pre-selection privileges um, if they're considered with it, like Glenn said, uh, as opposed to those who are labeled a little bit more reserved? What are your thoughts, Jeffrey Keller? Yeah, I think with Russell Wilson, since he's the quarterback, he's supposed to have a strong personality, right? And he doesn't have that intensity and strong personality um, when he's trying to lead the team, right? He's got that that fake enthusiasm that's perceived as fake enthusiasm. Mm. And so players look at him as, and you know as a player, if somebody's real or not. And I think that's the problem with Russell is he just not – the players have commented that he's not really that real guy, the guy that loves to compete. He gets nervous back there. Um, no, when I was in high school, I'm going to tell you, I, I was 140 pounds. I was just very athletic and can do things. And I had people try to punk me all the time. Mm. 
And it was funny because when I got drafted by Atlanta, I was no longer 140. I was 190 with 3% body fat. Come on. With a whole different mentality. And I remember I went back to see my mom. I went to a club. And this one kid that used to punk me all the time was at the club. And he's like, I'm going to, I'm going to, you need to buy me a drink. I'm calling my brother. I said, let me tell you something. I ain't that same dude that was in high school. So I'll tell you what. Uh, let's go outside. Let's wait for your brother, and I'm gonna whip your ass, and then I'm gonna whip your brother's ass. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was, oh no, I just playing, play, I just playing, right? It was like, so you know, it's all, it's. I think sometimes people think you're that same guy they remember you as in high school mm-hmm. because they didn't develop mm-hmm. uh, after those years mm-hmm. where you developed and matured and went on and, and, and did things, they still see you as that person in high school. And I think that's where some of those comments come from. To your, um, to your point now though, Jeff, it sounds like dude came up to you talking smack about, you know, making it, bringing it back to who you were in high school. Michael B. Jordan came back to her. So mm-hmm. he came back, you know, he, it wasn't her approaching him as it sounds like in your case, in his case, it was him seeing her from what I can tell Rome, tell me if I'm wrong, walking up like, yeah, remember me, y'all used to clown me, which I think happens a lot for right. people because you never forget those moments. But you right. know, are, are we still saying he's corny? Are we still, you know, and if you are, that's fine too. But I think it, there is a negative connotation, like you said, Rome, that you're just not cool, man. And is, does that, does it help you connect with people right away? Right. Does it help you be, build that initial bond that could lead to a further relationship? I'm not going to just say, oh, the average corny guy is, you know, he's the best mate and he's getting looked over in every case. Could be, but it's kind of hard to to build compatibility, some compatibility sometimes in chemistry if you just don't have that vibe with a person. Well, but, I asked but, Jeff that a while ago, Jamal. Um, and I'm gonna turn to you because Jeff said, look, if a man is a quarterback leading men, he ain't corny. Right, Jeff? Yeah, you're not corny. <laughs> There's never been a quarterback that's won championships where you go, where his teammates go, oh yeah, he was corny. If you if you lead the championship, I mean that's because he you, you look at him as the leader and you know that you're gonna win with him. Oh, well, Seahawks didn't win one, so he'd be our first corny QB, I guess. No, so see, the Seahawks did win one with him. They did. Yeah, they did. Almost uh, two. Almost two. Uh, speaking of Seahawks, Jamal, before you go there, um, y'all remember Clipper Daryl? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think he's still here, but I'm going to show y'all something real quick before we hear from Jamal. Jamal, I'm sorry, because I know no, you're good. You're good. But you can't say you remember, man. It makes it feel like we're the past, man. Cool. I know. <laughs> I know. I didn't know how much we get older, bro. But I know. It's like, it's funny. These people are passing. But this woman's name is Patty Hammond. She was one of the number one Seattle Seahawks fans since we were talking about the Seahawks and that championship that um, Russell won for them that one year. It was just one year, right, Jeff? Yeah. It yeah, one. it was more the defense, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but, uh, they, her name was Mama Blue. Uh, she was one of the biggest Seahawks fans in the Seattle Superdome or whatever that dome was with, that they played in. She just passed away and they just announced her passing. Uh, she gets she used to get all decked out and would be one of the biggest fans in Seattle. So rest in peace to Mama Blue. Uh, shouts out to her and the Seattle Seahawks. Jamal Jones, I'm sorry I cut your wisdom off, brother. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say with Michael, it seems like going back to Michael, that it seems like this is like she must have went on him in on him really hard because, again, with the power that he has, yeah, the power, the clout, 
you know, uh, the celebrity that he has become, the yeah. fact that he initially just came out with that rather than just, you know, ignoring it and all this other stuff. So right. when she's like, now, nah, 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 you know, I was, I misquoted. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, she went on him really, really hard. So then you look at how that affected him, but then I'm going into something else. And I mean, this is going to be a touchy subject, but like right. interracial dating. People forget that that dude was on yachts with blondes and all this other stuff before he went the mm. Harvey the Harvey route. Like before that, he was dating, I believe, white girls. So right. then you see that happening with the brothers a lot too. You know what I'm saying? Like where it's like, don't get clown and all of it. I remember this in college. I remember seeing brothers and all they dated was white, where they were white girls, but they were the corny guys, quote unquote. That's what people would call them. They were corny. Mm-hmm. All these guys corny. This brother's corny. But then what would they do? They'd be dating white girls. Right. And so how does that factor in when it comes to when black men and interracial dating? Like, because mm-hmm. again, I mean, I'm, 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 I'll be real. Like you see some of the cats out there that do it. And, and I, I'm like, why is this dude like the Carlton kind of type? It's like, and it's mm-hmm. like, your father grew up in Compton. Why are you talking like Carlton? You know what I'm saying? It's like, what's right. up with that? So it's just, but again, am I wrong for saying that? I don't know, but it's just, you, you see that phenomenon exist. And I think Michael B went through that and publicly went through that. And, you know, but is. where, I mean, you make a good point. I mean, what does it say? He had to go where he was appreciated. Right. 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 I mean, what happened? What do you do? What pray tell do you do if you're not athletic, if you're not popular, you can't dance or whatever? Because, you know, there were high school dances and everything. And if you were sitting off on the side, holding up the wall, right. <laughs> You didn't ask that girl for the slow dance. I don't even, I, they probably don't even slow dance anymore. But if you didn't, you were considered one of the cats that weren't with it. And so the, the, the other part to this is there's, there, there, I think corny, that label being corny has a, has a, has a distant cousin called gay, right? If you don't have a certain kind of swagger in our community, unfortunately, you get that false association placed upon you sometimes too, that you're, you're corny and don't even like women and you can't even get sisters. Yeah. Well, that can't happen. Say, well, there's an extreme to that too, Rome. Like, I mean, I think the extreme would be in a community because I mean, I've, I've, what I've experienced is that it goes from, from extreme. And I mean, I hate to say this because I got a mentor that I'm working with right now because we were just talking about this the other day because he was talking about how he handles a lot of situations with violence. And I was like, man, I said, look, my, my dad told me, he was like, look, if you're a dude, like you don't compromise yourself over some other dude, right? You know, some dude's gonna hit you and put you in a bad situation, it's not even worth it. But he, all he knew was emotion. So he was saying that that's something that, I guess attracts folks is that they see if you like the hitter dude or you're the guy or like you could beat somebody up, you could do this. It's so extreme that you see a lot of women gravitating to that kind right. of a person the extreme so in the neighborhood so the, the more this oh he's gonna i'm gonna call so-and-so because he's gonna bring his gun and he's gonna do this because i know he's got my and it's the lady saying this right so yeah. i'm just talking to this kid and i'm just like wow so then they strive to go in that direction but extreme and you're mm-hmm. just like and he he was trying to get out of it so he was talking to me for advice and i said look the more you accumulate the more you grow the more success the more you become a man you become successful all these other things that's more important to you than trying to do stuff like that. But it's just- That was your, that was your mentor or you were mentoring? My mentor. I was with him yesterday and I was, we were going, I took him to lunch, I took him to go get a suit actually. And then, you know, and he's 
got tattoos. He wants to get his tattoos removed. Wait a minute, it sounds like you're mentoring him. Yeah, no, I'm mentoring yeah, him. That's what I'm saying. I, I am. So I oh, said, okay. I, yeah. okay. I'm trying to, yeah. you know, he wants to get his tattoos removed. But okay. talking to him, we were talking about relationships. And he was saying that, you know, he said a lot of a lot of what's happening right now. He was saying he feels that a lot of men are too emotional and they didn't mm. grow up with men in the house. And he said, and this is what, what's going on. So he was just like, with 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 that male figure and, and teaching some of us men in regards to me, you're talking about corny and all this other stuff. Like mm. what's important? You know what I'm saying? Are we gonna be out there beating everybody up, doing all this other stuff? Or like you said, with being with the corny person, it's like somebody who's corny grows. So they're, they're, gro they're growing in their career, they're doing all these other stuff. But again, what is the priority? So then they go to a white girl and then the white girl's looking at this person like, look, look at the man that he's become. He's got a house, he's got this, and he's got that his education, he's got this other stuff. And they're like, wow, I'm so proud of you. And right. then the other person may say, I don't care about that. I don't care that you did this and I don't care that you did that. Can you beat somebody up? Can you do this? Can you do that? It's like, whatever. And that, oh, you're corny because you're not going to go over here and pull a gun on somebody, right? I'm just right. talking about this because this is talking to this kid. And it's just like, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. everybody else in your crew and around you is looking at you like you're weak because you won't do that. And I'm just like, damn, talking to my mentor, my mentee, that this is what he's dealing with every day. Like everyone looks at him because he's trying to get his education and he's yeah. got this mentor and he wants to go get a job that they're looking at him like he's a punk and that he's corny yep. and this yep. and he's that. And I'm just sitting in the car with him like, yep. wow, it just blew me away. And now we're having this conversation yep. today and I'm just like, wow. And it, he, I have his suit in my house right now. Mm. I got him a suit. He did not want to walk in the door of his transitional housing. He didn't want to walk in the door with that suit because his roommates that are in a transitional with him would have yep. did something sure. to him because he walked in the door with a suit. I was like, man. How old is this guy? 18. So yeah. yeah, Chris Rock did a whole bit on that, I think, in Big and Blacker, though. Right? Mm -hmm. Talking about, well, you know, I don't have to learn how to read. I don't, you know, you think you're all good because you go into school. But let me tell you something. Can you whip my ass? <laughs> <laughs> What's up, everybody? This is Cy Smith, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. The mercenary don't fight the war for free. They fight the war for a currency, not unity, not peace. Bookkeepers with information that covers all of these details. Fake news won't prevail with me holding the keys. Land of the free, enslaved by the false pretense. They attack and we play defense. How do I make you see sense? Have all your thoughts deep and test your beliefs. If the law ain't for us, who's policing the police? Who's increasing all their fees? Listening to their speeches, how many times did we march with no shoes on, no J's or the boots on, been beaten on, we've been chewed on, but it happened years ago, so we should just move on. You think that man don't know pain, cause he got a suit on, cause he finally got a plate that he can now have food on, telling me that luck isn't everybody's friend, but really you can't fathom that my tree now has fruit on. Don't get me irate in this climate, it's heating up in that plane now, can't fly straight, I might up and migrate. Turbulence results in your mind racing, prone to dehydration, Cause you want freedom, don't die chasing This is post-apocalyptic Where we stand, you wanna give us the Bible And have us give up the land They will dangle the carrot when nothing is in your hand And tell you never to worry, it's all just part of the plan Fuck what you got planned, your wishes are my command These people are not your friends, I finally understand They wanna divide you and close people in your set Cause when you're winning together, that's bigger than any check 
workplace Why give you my ideas in the first place? Know how you contribute, they tell you Describe how you ask for a pay rise And they raising their eyebrows Why does my blackness have to come with a fight now? I'm peaceful at heart, but I suggest you pipe down I'm not ashamed of the soil that I'm made of Brave woman, my granddaddy is where I got my name from You don't know me well enough to call me Simmy The closest people to me actually call me Sims Apart from my family in a loving capacity I can never sell my soul for a salary No, they want everything I own, the audacity Try something and test your mortality That there is a tragedy Oh, you mad how I clocked it and I got here Mentally taking back my power and I'm signing out respectfully So what happens, Glenn, if you can't find that person and you see the thing, the reason why I'm doing this is because they say we don't exist, fellas. And it's like, y'all remember <laughs> uh, Falkhorn Leghorn was one of my favorite characters of all time. Y'all Man, that's one of the most yeah. racist yeah. cartoons out there. <laughs> I know, but he was, dude, all said, kind of word, I said, wrong. Kind of word. <laughs> <laughs> I said, wrong. What you do? Yeah. Yes, dude. Do you remember the vanishing cream thing with the, the little chicken hawk? Listen to this. Oh my God. Chicken go? hawk. I know you're around, boy. I can hear you, but I can't see you. <laughs> see, sisters be like that. They're like, black men have been saying, no, not all of us are in jail. We're not all gay. We right here. And it's like we got spread on with the, this vanishing cream and they just just don't see us. We'd be standing right in front of them. We've been saying this stuff for years. Ain't none of this new. Let me play that again. It's going to make you invisible so the pheasant can't see you. <laughs> Where'd you go, boy? I say a word. We got plum vanished. Here I am. Over here. You plum vanished. I can't hear you, but I can't see you. I can't see you. We've been saying all along. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we... Corny is the stable guys win, man. And it's like, like Jamal was saying, it's like that toxicity that the fact that this young man at 18 that he's mentoring can't even feel secure enough in himself that he's not going to get clowned for just wanting to do better for himself. What, what kind of culture are we breeding? See, the, oh man, see, th th this right here, this is the perception that gets out there that there's not enough viable uh, of a selection pool of black men for black women to choose from because the fact of the matter is they've been lied to. They've been lied to, they've been believing the hype. Sadly, too many of us believe the hype that most of us are doing bad and are down bad compared to the, the, you know, the better angels amongst us. But we've always been right here. We've always been screaming we're right here. And yet sisters somehow don't seem to think that they have access to us. Now to a certain woman, the good cats are invisible because we're not on that. Jeff Glenn and Jamal, especially Jeff and Jamal. Remember when um, gangster rap was popular, but right before that, it was about Boogie Down Productions, right. self-destruction, Stetsasonic. Uh, self-destruction, of course, was a song title collaborative by a lot of East Coast hip hop artists, Public Enemy, Boogie Down Productions, Stetsasonic, Daddy-O, MC Light was in that whole bunch of East Coast artists. And then of course, later on, we are all in the same gang came out with the West Coast sort of response to that uh, in, in a show of unity. But we weren't just, they tried to assign the fact that 
black women have all these misogynistic tropes thrown against them from black men, but they're doing it through the prism of entertainment, through rap music, through lyrics, through music videos, when all the while we were into De La Soul, right, Jamal? Right. When Jeffrey Keller and Jamal would come to the events that I would go to and host, we were on something different, right? And Glenn yeah. knows too, you know, Glenn, knows, Glenn has a really wide vocabulary of music appreciation, but when they were rocking gold chains, when De La Soul came out with the, the, the medallion, I mean, they didn't originate it, but when they started to wear it, it's like, okay, the medallion is cool now. But that was for the people that were into Tribe Called Quest and Native Tongues and all that. Rest in peace to Trugoy the Dove. They just had his celebration of life over yeah, the week. Yeah, I saw that. Wasn't it beautiful? Yeah, man. It was beautiful. And the fact that De La Soul's music is now available for streaming now for the very first time. They've been fighting for years. And uh, yeah, Trugoy the Dove couldn't make it. You know what I'm saying? He would have he loved to see this day. You know, he and his crew worked their butts off and, you know, kept touring for all these years, stayed together as a group, you know, promoting real hip hop, the stuff that we like, Jamal and Jeff, the stuff we came up on, you know, but we we we've been trying to gravitate sisters to the fact that there's some cats out here. They're not they're not on that gold chain stuff. It's like the reason why these guys often can't find suitable women, because the corny guys are not flashy, man. They're not flashy. They're not flaunting it. When they get money, when they get a little bit of affluence, they're the same cat that you knew from back in school, except maybe now they can do it now with a little bit of flex because they have something going for themselves. They have found a pathway for themselves, but you couldn't see it. That cat was invisible to you back then and remains so to this day. But just like the chick, we've always been there. And then one more thing, since I'm running my mouth, since I have the floor, I'm going to turn it over to you guys before we land. Oh, I'm on one now. See, the thing is, I, I had said a few moments ago that one of the distant cousins of Corny, that association, that, you know, that pejorative trope that's never intended to be complimentary, they also call certain Black men gay. Do you guys realize that the majority of the LGBT community that identifies as Black is dominated by women? Now, I share some stats with y'all from the Williams Institute Law of UCLA. They did a study, ladies and gentlemen, and just to put this out there, and we're going to have to expand this on another conversation, but there are 41.6 million Black people living in the United States. Of that number, 1.2 million are considered LGBTQ. 2.88% of that number identifies as LGBTQ. 61% of the Black LGBTQ community are Black women, which is five percentage points higher than non-Black women. 61% of 1.2 million is 732,000. 39% of LGBTQ men identify as Black men. 39%. 39% of 1.2 million is 468,000. 2.34% of the Black male population identifies as gay. 2%, okay? But notice the number I said before, two point, what did it say? 2.88% of the black community is comprised of gay black women. But throughout our lifetime, there's always this fear of getting with a black man that's on the down low, that is secretly gay, that is closeted gay. But all the while, the more gay of the black community has been its women. They are the most gay women in the country, more gay than any other woman in this country. I'm not dissing. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not even trying to level set this, but I'm just trying to say that these perceptions have hurt good brothers. 
And I'm not saying that gay men aren't good brothers. I'm saying this hurts. This hurts our community when these tropes get thrown around and they're not challenged. And it takes something like this in order to set the record straight. There are more gay black women in this country than there are gay black men. We have the numbers on that now. So for anybody that associates this this whole argument of being corny or gay or weak or substandard or not up to the challenge, not manly enough, no swag, all these things have hurt black men. And I'm saying we as black men have been taking it. Jeffrey Keller said many times on this show that we're just expected to just take this kind of stuff and not push back, not have an opinion, not have a standard. But like Jamal and Glenn was saying, especially Jamal, it's like, what's a black man supposed to do? Because the reason why this stuff matters, Glenn, is because we love black women. We love black women. I think it's safe to say everybody on this panel has always and continues to love sisters first. They always have the right of first refusal with us, always. And the reason why there's so much consternation and beef and strife in our community, the reason why we're so divided, I think, is because of these phony, false perceptions that have been circulating about black men. We're not hyper-violent, we're employed, we make more money than they do. We're on our job when it comes to parenting and parenthood and fathering children. We're the most involved fathers in the lives of our children more than any other man in this country. And this one right here just irks and rankles my nerves. It's like, I never had a problem being, you know, thought of as gay or whatever, but you know, everybody gets bagged on, you know, they, they used to call it bagging back then. Yeah. But Everybody has received, been on the receiving end of that. It's never been funny, but the idea is that sisters have sort of helped to perpetrate this. Not all of y'all, so don't go there with me on that. But it doesn't take all in order for this to be harmful. We have to get this right. There are tons of black men out there that are saying, we're here, we're here, here I am, I'm here. And sisters act like they can't see us. And so because you give your best years to the less than 20% of black men that are producing all the children, you give your best to them. You give your best to the Pookies. You give your best to the Ray Rays. You don't save your best for the good corny dudes out there that are on their purpose and on their plan. And then you wonder why you can't give that again to someone else. You can't open up your heart because you've given your best years to the, the lesser angels of us. When the majority of us don't rock it like that. Oh, I'm on one now. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to the panel. Uh, I better let y'all go in a minute, but I've been preaching a sermon right now. Y'all go ahead. Whoever wants it. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, date the brother with the fanny pack. It's okay. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Come on. Come on. I mean, ah, that's, ah, that's tough because there's so many layers to that, though. Like, it's not... The corny dude can will cheat on a woman too. The corny dude isn't necessarily going to be an amazing husband or father. I really think it comes down again to com compatibility, chemistry, and then also where you meet these people. Um, in my opinion, I, I get what you're saying about giving uh, more of your all to, you know, the other the other half of the percentage that maybe you know fathering multiple children from multiple women, etc. But like where my background is Jack and Jill went to Morehouse, et cetera. So it wasn't necessarily that I saw that I was at Morehouse and saw corny to corny to crit. You know what I mean? Like you see uh -huh. the whole gamut of black men at Morehouse and everybody's different. And a lot of my people did marry sisters from Spelman. Some of us didn't, you know, cats are single cats have, you know, married, um, 
black women from other walks, et cetera. It's just getting the people together, honestly, because a lot of the sisters I know are pretty good. They're not out here giving all of their time to the lesser. They'd love to have a good man. A lot of them are just single going to work in the gym because they aren't necessarily running into those good guys. So to that point, it may be more about just getting people in communal situations where they can vibe um, and actually get in, get in the same space with a person who has the same idea for the trajectory for their life. I think how I see it is that not necessarily sis is giving all, all their, their best to air, air quotes, lesser brothers, if you will, but just not being able to find them. And so to your point, Rome, yeah, we're here, but whereas, you know, depending on the city you live in, I grew up in Sacramento, I'm in the Bay now, where do you find a large concentration of, you know, air quotes, viable black men? Oh, Where do you I go? got an answer for that. Oh, that's easy. Oh, thank you for throwing me such a softball. I love it. I love it. I didn't want a hard question. I didn't want a hard question. So thank you for giving me an easy one, Glenn. Uh, first of all, it's up to the sisters to figure that question out because we here. OK, but if you want a practical answer, you know where they need to look. You know where they are, Glenn? You know where they are? Work. No. <laughs> you know where they are? Is it work? <laughs> you know where they are? No, they working. They, trust me, they work. You know where they I mean, are? You know where they are? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. Check in their friend zone. Oh, okay. That's where they are. That's okay, where they that's... are. It's usually those cats that they passed up. And the reason why I go on like this is because I don't hear black men. I don't hear, Glenn, I, I never heard people from your, I mean, I'm not that much older than you. I'm, I'm a little older than you. But I've never heard black men say, and I'm not talking about all sisters, but I've never heard, Jeffrey Keller's known me a long time. Jamal Jones has known me for a while, too. I've never heard these cats talking about, oh, I don't need no woman. I don't need no black woman. I can do this by myself. I've never heard them say that. But there's no other race as prominently as ours that boasts and brags about the fact of doing these kind of things that are long associated with community and family and doing it together, man and woman together, like black people, like black women have. They tend to boast and flex about doing things that should be done together, doing them apart. I don't hear Hold black on. men doing that. And as far as the cheating piece, you know, I'm gonna turn it back over to you in a second. 28% yeah, yeah. of men, 24% of women cheat. That's almost the yeah. same. So yeah, it, yeah, no doubt. it's a wash. So I don't, I don't really give a lot of credence to women no. who talk about always only finding cheaters. They always all find the cheaters, right? But most of us aren't cheaters. Most of that's us aren't, but they, they, for some reason, they can't seem to avoid them. Go ahead. I mean, that's a, that's a quarter. Um, but I was just going to say the corny and the crip can cheat the same. It depends on the person. I agree with you on the friend zone comment though. That's real talk. But that to me is so tough because I'm in the same space in a lot of ways. Like there's good women who I, you know, I talk to maybe around, et cetera. But if you're, if your heart's not into building something with that person, it doesn't matter how air quotes good they are, how much of a friend they are. You have to be able to have that mental switch to switch into a love and growing and wanting to be with this person for the rest of your life situation, which isn't always just a natural thought. Both. I think that's all people. So well, you're saying, uh, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, yeah no, ahead. I, I think Chris talked, touched on this last night. You know, if, if, uh, if you tell your boys, you met a girl, boys, your boys be like, Oh, what she look like mm-hmm. when a girl tell her girlfriends, you know, she met a dude. The first thing she, they say is what's he do? to do yeah Can you and provide? i think but that's the difference we a man will date you if you at denny's you work at Denny's. as long as you're a nice person we think you look good we're going yeah we'll, we'll give you a shot when you marry a, woman, a woman's not gonna do that 
A woman but, wants somebody that, let me just finish. A woman yeah, wants somebody that's, that's successful as they are or more. Yeah. That's, that's the difference in looking for partners. But then again, to add to that, so the guy who's in the friend zone, right? And say he ends up becoming the successful person that can give her the life she wants. And she recognizes that. And she's like, oh my God, this guy can give me everything I want, blah, 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 blah. She ends up marrying him. She ends up having children with him. But then all of a sudden, because again, I'm just going to say it because I've experienced this, then she comes to you and starts complaining about how she's not happy mm. and all this other BS. And then you ask her, why are you not happy in this relationship? Is he doing this right? Is he doing it? He is. I'm just bored or whatever you want, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then it, what it ends up coming down to is that he was never that dude. And men have to understand that. Like when you're in a relationship, if you don't get the feeling that you are not that dude, if you're like the, the guy that's a safe guy, the guy that, you know, she, he might've been, you were her friend and then she has settled on you. It's because she couldn't get the dude that she, she was trying to get. <laughs> And, yep. and I mean, this is, these are just facts. And then again, yep. it goes back to like, there's this other cat over here that doesn't even have a lot going on for himself. But what is it about him that she's attracted to? He goes to that masculinity. And it might be hyper He might be like the dude that's out there in the streets playing all these women and all this other stuff, but he rides at Harley. You know what I'm saying? He lives at his grandma's house, but he's a bad boy. And it's like, that's the dude she likes, but he just doesn't have it all together. But she just can't stop dealing with this guy. So mm. men have to understand the dynamic when it comes to with, with, with women. It's just, it's, it's like the nature thing. And I'm going to say one more thing, like start, look up Tupac and look at the interviews with all these folks talking about his list of the women that he was, that he was dating. He was dating, not, he was dating actresses. He was dating like these, these, like these ed- women that were successful, like women that you would never, and he bragged about it, like women that you wouldn't even think would, would date him. And he was dating mm. them. So what mm. does that go back to tell you what they were attracted to? And he was playing all of them. So right. again, it, it's all on YouTube. You can watch these interviews. So as men, when you understand that, it's not all the women like that. There's, for good women, I think there's still that aspect. Okay, it, it could be a corny guy, it could still be masculine. You know what I'm saying? There's that masculinity that women are attracted to. If you don't have that, you're in trouble. I'm just sorry, because that's the nature part. We can complain about it all day or whatever, but we have to still embrace that part of us because that's what makes us men. We are masculine men and women are attracted to that. But unfortunately, sometimes they go too far because they're like, I can't find these guys. I can't find that. We can't lose that. So Mm. That's one of the things you just, again, you look at that, you look at Tupac, you look at what's going on and you see, oh, this guy's corny and all this other stuff. But then they're attracted to this certain type of situation. And I think it has to do with masculinity. I mean, it's just, that's what it is. Because again, you could be corny, but you could be masculine. You could be corny, whatever it is. Well, you, you get what I'm trying to say. It's just, do, yeah. you don't I, lose I, grasp I, I, of that I, as men, especially in society now. Like This is what the kid was telling me the other day. The young 18 year old, he said he feels that Again, men are, are being bred to be more emotional and not more like men. Mm-hmm. So he was like, and we lose that situation. It's like, and men are becoming, women are becoming more masculine. That's yep. what he was telling me in the car. He said, women are becoming yeah, more we've masculine. We talked about this. Men are becoming yep. more emotional. And yep. then you see it, and then women, so, and I mean, my brother talk about this all day, because I don't okay. go to the club at, or anything like that. I was invited to a lounge, me and my brother went, and there were younger women. As soon as we walked in there, 
it was like they saw a ghost. Like me and my brother walked in and we're just regular cats. It was like men just walked in the room because all these dudes wow. that were went in the room were these like effeminate look, you know, dudes that like th that's the new thing now. And I don't really go out. And we have to understand and embrace what we are and what we grew up. Because women, I'm sorry, you can say all this stuff all day. They're attracted to that. <laughs> and that's yeah. what we're losing. That's all I wanted to say. We are losing it. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, the, the problem is now, if you're a strong male, you're a toxic male. Right. Wrong. Okay, so we've been, they've been trying to label us and demasculate and, and de us for 40 years, and it's finally working. Mm. You you look at the TV shows. You you look at movies. You, you you look at the superheroes. The female superheroes are whipping dudes' tails. Right. The dudes aren't doing nothing in return. Right. That's part of demasculation. With with the same labeling, I, I'm cisgender. I'm this. That's demasculation. It's if you said that you are a male, that people look at you like you crazy. Mm. Like you talk, even in, like I work in a school system. Let me tell you, there's probably two strong males in that system. Right. Because when they hire, they don't want to hire a male because they think he's toxic and he's going to be problems. Yes. And so that's the way society has changed it to. Mm -hmm. When I deal with, with the, at the school I work at, the, the women have more fights and cause more troubles than the, than the boys do now. Yep. Yep. The, the um, boys are like you said, they're they've been a lot, they've been trained to be a lot softer, a lot emotional. I had a kid the other day, this male come and go, he was crying because the girl rejected him. Mm. I'm like, dude, in my day, okay, I'm just moving on, finding somebody dust better. It off. You dust it off. And, and and Jeff, I wanted to just throw this in at you. This kid, the kid said this profound statement. He said, Well, I said it to him. An emotional man is a dangerous man. Why? Yeah. Because when yeah. you are a masculine man, you handle if you handle things with emotion and you are a man, these are the dudes shooting people all. These are the yeah. people pulling guns and killing people every yeah. single day are these emotional dudes. Yeah. And I was imitating to the kid. I said, I was in the store the other day and this kid was yelling at his girlfriend. Why are you talking to me like that? And I was like, why is he talking like that? And these are these guys that are out there running the street, doing drive-bys because it's all emotional because somebody stepped on your shoes. It's like men don't do stuff like you, you're a man. And I'm sorry to sound like this. You are and and again, this this is this we're losing this in society. Men do not do stuff like that. We are not emotional. We're logical. We're not going to sit out there and, and 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 do and react in a situation in the <laughs> workplace. We're not going to do that. We're not going to yell and scream and all this other stuff. And we're losing that. So yep. That's I think that's a major problem. I, I agree. Because you know, if you're over 35, you're 40, 45, you don't have any kids, you you not been married, you go out with a girl. First thing she asks you is, Are you gay? Right. First thing. First thing. First that's thing. where we're at. Not 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 giving you respect for making right decisions, mm -hmm. being careful with your life. No, just gonna demean you and ask you if you're gay. Right. You see, that's why I've been talking about these numbers. Black women are more gay than black men are. So they're going to have to stop that cap and get a brand new storyline because what they've just done with that realization is that they've just added a whole bunch of more eligible black men into the pool that have always been there. But see, they've had this blind spot 
as if we're not there because they think the majority of us are incarcerated. And I didn't share the incarceration numbers on this one, but only 1% of the black male population is locked up. Okay. 1% of the male population is black male population is locked up. Only 2% of the black male population is gay. And there are more gay black women than there are gay black men. They have to stop this cap. They're not going to stop. So I, I'm saying it rhetorically. They're not going to stop, but it's okay. Cause we, we know the truth. We know the truth. So it's on us to act like we know the truth and we got the truth. And the reason why this matters is because like Jeff said, the first thing that they want to say is that uh, what's wrong with you? You don't have kids. And it doesn't matter if you've gotten yourself together. I'm gonna let you cats go in a minute. Cause I know I'm going a little bit long, but it doesn't matter if you got yourself together or not, they're still going to perceive you to be a threat. I didn't have time to go into it this time, but I introduced um, Dr. T Hassan Johnson's clip a couple weeks ago, and he had a guest on his uh, podcast not too long ago. He was another brother who had gone through a doctoral program, and they tried to cancel him because they said, Jeff, that his teaching was too toxic because he was teaching about some issues that were affecting singularly Black men. And then the sisters in that in his classroom tried to cancel him, a doctorate. And it doesn't matter if you're if you're swagged out, like like Glenn said, he was he was at Morehouse from Crips to what'd you say from corny to Crip? Corny to Crip. <laughs> from corny to Crip. And it's like it's they don't, it doesn't matter. They still try to paint you as being a threat. And it's all because you start speaking with a little bit of clarity, like you know what you're talking about. Because the minute you start speaking this truth and you start speaking in terms of black men aren't the savages that you guys have believed us to be, y'all have been lied to. There's a huge viable pool of black men out there that are ready, have always been ready, they're viable, and they want to stand by y'all's side. And so from corny to crip, it doesn't matter. These are the people that they're most afraid of. To my PhD. They're scared of even them. Okay. So it don't matter if you're a crip or you got a doctorate, the blanket generalization of fear that they've associated with the black man and his image is still the same. And so it's on us and incumbent upon panels such as this to sort of set the record straight. It's not our job to find mates for all these sisters, for the ones that want them. I mean, I'm not even trying to convince you to get married to a black man. Because y'all, some of y'all, not all, some of y'all have made up your mind that you can do this without us, okay? And I'm gonna land with this because again, uh, I'm running a little long. Check this out, y'all. I don't know if y'all saw this or not. And then I'm gonna let y'all rock and roll. This came out a couple months ago, this story right here. And audience, bear with me. This is why something like this matters. Brexit was a big story a few years ago. And if you're not familiar with Brexit, this was something in the United Kingdom where they thought it would be better for the United Kingdom to leave the European Union over the issue of immigration. This is on the onset of Boris Johnson. Uh, they were following the example here in this country because we had elected Donald Trump in this country. And they thought all of that uh, racist rhetoric that he was on would be a better country even for them over in the UK. So they finally did leave the European Union, but guess what? This article is just from a couple months ago, January, 2023. They wanna come back in now. They wanna come back in now. And the polls are rising to have a brand new election about whether or not we can um, make a way for them to come back into the European Union, okay? 
In other words, they messed up. They went too far. You can't do this without the UK. You can't do this without the European Union. They're realizing that now. They're realizing that they went too far. And finally, I'm going to land on this. The reason why these, uh, these data points that I keep bringing up that I stumble through to try to make sense out of and make a coherent, coherent flowing discussion on, this is why this matters. And Glenn, I was really inspired uh, by our conversation offline with this mm -hmm. because of this cat right here. The Central Park Five, as they were formerly called, they're now known as the Exonerated Five. Um, they're all doing much better now, but they were notoriously thrown in jail for something that they did not do. And so King Corey Wise, as he's now known, uh, suffered the worst of that group. But this brother right here, Yusuf Salam, oops, I left something out. Dr. Yusuf Salam to my PhD. is now running for office. Things got so bad for him in New York because of the media frenzy surrounding his incarceration and subsequent release. He eventually moved to Georgia, but now he's returned to New York City where his arrest originally happened. And now he's running for office. And so Mateus Reyes is the guy that eventually came forward and said that, hey, Corey in the Central Park Five didn't do this. I did this to that woman. I did. Okay. Now, imagine had he never came out, Corey Wise would still be locked down and Yusuf Salam would not have this second chance to uh, live the life that God intended for him. These data points matter. The truth matters because you may have a perception that you were given from long, long ago, but we have to set the record straight or else we never get to see a Dr. Yusuf Salam to my PhD have a second chance in this country. And so that's why I'm doing this. The truth has to come out. Brothers on this panel, I love all you cats, man. And I appreciate you rocking with this conversation with me. Uh, I never know how it's going to go. I never know how well I do, but I'm trying. I'm trying to fight for the good brothers because you guys are worth it. And I don't like the bad rap that you've been given. Not all of our sisters are guilty of this, obviously. But I do this because sisters still have the right of first refusal for us. We love sisters, but we're not playing with y'all no more. Some of y'all are just too far gone. Too, so many of y'all have gone the Brexit route that you don't think you can do this with us. You don't, you don't see the point of it now at this point. And I respect that. You know, go on with your bad self. So I guess I'm making more of an emotional appeal or an intellectual appeal to the sisters that still want to rock with the good brothers. Hey, we're here. That's all I'm saying. We're here. We've always been here and we're going to continue to be here. Unless, of course, too many of us start to get that passport going. <laughs> this is Angel on Sax, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com, best internet radio on the planet. What's happening? This is Mark Maxwell, host of Rise, heard on KPFK. But right now, you're listening to one of my influences, the good brother DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School. You know, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. Hey. 
Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, you know I'm always excited when we talk about the funk on Psychotic Bump School. And especially when we talk about the funk as it pertains to the great funk capital of the world, Dayton, Ohio. We have a very special guest here that's here for the very first time. So I'm going to introduce you to him in just a second. But before I do, I want to bring back this amazing co-host. You know this voice. It's been a long time since she's been here, ladies and gentlemen. But from coast to coast to, to, to I mean, just from everywhere, all parts United States of America, from the DMV to California, and of course, Dayton, this young lady has been an amazing ally on this program as it pertains to mental health and the funk. So ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Miss Emily Wessel. Emily, welcome back. Thank you so much. You're always so sweet with your introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. How in the world have you been? Oh, I am great. Uh, Los Angeles has been getting lots of rain, so it's been really fun. Oh, as, a, as an East Coast and Midwest native, I've been enjoying watching everybody, you know, learn how to be in the rain. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Hey, there was a classic by the Dramatics call, In the Rain. I want to go outside in the rain. I mean, beautiful songs and melodies were created from this kind of weather. Absolutely. Well, speaking of the East Coast, Emily, we have a very special guest that's here for the very first time. You know, um, Emily, you and I know David Webb, right? Yes, of course. All right. So David had the good fortune to introduce me to our, our brand new guest for the show. Uh, he's a co-founder of this uh, wonderful um, endeavor called the Funk Box. And it's an extension of the Funk Music Hall of Fame and Exhibition Center. And uh, David Webb has done it again, y'all. This good friend of David's is a co-founder of the Funk Box. I want to hear all about it, Emily. So, ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, Mr. Joseph Carradin. Joseph, are you there? I am. Hi, thank you. Hey, you are so welcome. Uh, Emily and I have been looking forward to talking to you because we talk about the funk a lot on this show. So let me make sure I've said your last name correct. Uh, Carradin? Carradin, yep, that's right. Absolutely. Well, uh, both Emily and you have been on the East Coast. Uh, Joseph, how in the world did you get involved with David Webb and this funk box? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so uh, I met David in Dayton, Ohio, back in about 2019 and uh, had lunch with him. And this was just after I had read an article about how the Funk uh, Museum had lost their space and what, what's yeah. called the fire blocks in downtown Dayton. And mm -hmm. um, so uh, I contacted David. I reached out to him and introduced myself. We met, had lunch and chatted a little bit. Um, and our company, Tessalit, which is based in New York City and Dayton, um, mm -hmm. you know, decided uh, we wanted to help out um with david's endeavor to get the funk museum going and so uh we uh we decided to do some pro bono work with david to help with design and planning for the future uh, uh funk center yeah you said the fire block is that what he said emily the mm -hmm, fire, the fire block. block i think that's a part of the the downtown area isn't it that's right it's on third street yep mm -hmm. oh what is it about that community? Does it is there a certain resonance with uh, music in general? Is there a rich musical, artistic, cultural legacy there? I think the rich artistic cultural legacy comes mainly from West Dayton. Um, a lot of the funk mm -hmm. musicians came from West Dayton, mm -hmm. um, and 
So the Fireblocks is really more in kind of middle downtown Dayton, but I think really the the really um, deeper roots of funk music come more from the West End of Dayton. Oh, okay. You would agree, Emily? Yeah, yeah. Well, and also the the music history, you know, funk for sure. But there's also the organ district, and a whole, there's a lot of musical history from from Dayton. Yeah. Oh man. Okay, so what is the funk box? I've seen similar devices like that in California where uh, Emily and I are, Joseph. There's this, uh, the Motown Museum, I think. And they have a lot of little exhibits and sort of interactive experiences as you walk through the, the Motown Museum or the Grammy Museum, I'm sorry, the Grammy Museum. Mm -hmm. uh, you, it's by Staples Center, right, Emily? I don't know if you've yeah. ever been there. Okay, there you, yeah. go. there you go. So can you talk to us about uh, what the funk box actually is, Joseph and Tessalit Studio. What what have you created here with David Webb? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our company really uh, specializes in design uh, interactive technology exhibits, uh, mostly for museums and cultural institu institutions. Um, and what the funk box is is it's a custom made um, traveling exhibit. It's actually all of it's built into a musician's robe case. Um, it's about four feet wide by about two feet deep, um, and it opens up, and when it opens up, it's got wheels on it so it can be transported around pretty easily from schools to libraries to uh, wherever it's needed. And uh, inside of the funk box is a large video display, um, and there's also three um, what we call motion sensors or uh, motion tracking sensors. Mm -hmm. that allow you to interact with the software. Um, and so there's a bunch of, there's about three or four computers in there that are doing all of the um, motion sensing. And um, basically the software, what happens is um, when you wave your hand over one of the sensors, it pulls up an audio sample and they're all funk samples. Some of them were actually created by Joseph Wooten. Um, who's a fantastic uh, advocate and musician who uh, played mm. keyboard with uh, the Steve Miller band. Oh. And um, it, yeah, so when you wave your hands over the sensor, it plays a different instrument. So there's three sensors and the drum and bass are provided by the computer. So it'll lay down a track for uh, a beat and it'll also um, lay down a bass line and then you can wave your hand over a sensor and you can trigger vocals or you could trigger guitar or electric organ synthesizer um, and what it allows you to do is um, if you do the timing right and and you follow along with the beat you can start to craft songs by building in instruments um, so it's a really fun and interactive way uh, where you can actually use the motion of your body to actually interact with uh, interact with the technology. So it's, it's it's pretty high tech and it's pretty fun. That is just so cool. I, I really appreciate you being able to sort of explain the experience because when people are listening, they don't necessarily know without seeing it how cool this is, but you really are the instrument, your body. I was watching yeah. some of the YouTube videos and you're you're actually making the music by choosing different things with your body, which is just so innovative. How did you come up with that uh, that that method? 
Yeah, well, it it was um, it was a process through which uh, we worked with David and we worked with Ricky Vincent and Scott Brown and Joseph Wooten and Vernon Porter, who plays bass. Um, and they're all, you know, really fantastic um, artists and, and historians. And um, another portion of the funk box is a, is a really brief history on the, um, the origins of funk music, starting with James Brown and working your way up to funkadelic and even into hip hop. Um, and so it was really a collaborative effort. You know, we, we spent weeks, every week we would meet and, um, you know, talk about what type of interactivity we wanted, what, um, you know, what sort of things we wanted to communicate from a historical perspective um, with the, with the sort of little interactive history portion of it. Um, so, yeah, it was really, it was really sort of a back and forth collaborative effort and, We've done a lot of motion tracking technology and other exhibits. And so we thought that that technology would be ideal for this because number one, kids love it. Yeah. Um, and, and number two is it, it activates you. So you really have to listen to the rhythm of the music and time your interactions. Um, and so we felt that that was a perfect technology for this type of thing. Mm, that's just so special because, you know, you mentioned kids, which if listeners haven't heard us talk about the, the, the Funk Music Hall of Fame, their their biggest sort of mission as a nonprofit is, is about education and preservation, right? And really keeping the history of funk alive and Dayton's culture and how it influenced it. And, but really making it accessible to children and to young people who might not know where some of these sounds come from. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned that, Emily, because one of the things that really drew us to David and, um, and, 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 and the, the entire organization was their core mission of, you know, creating an exhibit that would reach a younger generation and inspire kids to want to learn more about this history and, and specifically its relationship to Dayton, Ohio. Um, so, I, you know, we really love that. And, and I think David is, is you know, really brilliant in his approach and, and really wanting to um, reach that generation and do it through music education um, and, and really inspire young kids to, to really keep the torch going for, for funk music. Mm. Now, you know, Emily, you're, you're a dancer, right? Did you, did you teach dance, Emily? <laughs> I did for a long time. <laughs> okay. So you see the value of what this can mean for children, especially those who might be exceptional or have special oh, needs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because when you're working, well, so I'm, I'm a therapist as well. So I now right. I have both of those backgrounds and, you know, I'm thinking, gosh, for kids to be able to physically engage, they don't even have mm -hmm. to really you know, care about what they're learning. They're just having fun. And that is so important. Absolutely. Do you need a certain musical aptitude, Joseph, to, to be able to, I mean, it sounds like wave your hand and you're, you're producing sounds, you're making music. Like Emily said, you're using your body and you're, you're making it happen. Uh, any type of additional uh, advantage a trained musician could have with this uh, versus a novice or a beginner. I'm, I'm guessing this is ideally uh, targeted for the novice or the beginner, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And that's actually a great question because uh, going back to the development of this, one of the first things we thought of was, you know, 
breaking it down to where you could play notes. And, and our concern with that was that we never want people to feel like they're failing at something. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, we wanted to make it easy to use, even for the novice. Um, and yet we wanted to have enough complexity that it was still engaging and interesting. So a lot of the times when we design these types of exhibits, we always have to think about who's using it and, and never creating uh, something that's too complex and requires a, a steep learning curve so that people feel like they failed at doing it. Um, so that's that's really important. And, and that was something that we sort of decided very early on in our discussions uh, with, with the larger group was to make sure that, you know, this wasn't too complex because, you know, as we all know, music is incredibly complex and um, it takes many years to, to really understand it and grasp it. So we, yeah. we wanted to make it easy, but not too easy. Absolutely. Well, music is a universal language, and this is funk, right, <laughs> Joseph? Yeah. This is funk. So you yourself, I I'm imagining you gravitated to this for your own reasons as well, as far as what your musical template is built upon. Um, is this translatable to uh, other genres, for example? Because funk influences so many things, including hip-hop. I think I saw something mentioned in your exhibit while you were speaking in the the the, uh, the trailer video that there are even some tentacles of this that reach into the genre of K-pop. Uh, how much does this translate into other genres of music? Is there another uh, iteration of the funk box represented through other genres, perhaps, that you're involved in? Yeah, that was also an early conversation as well. Um, you know, one of the things that we initially talked about was, um, you know, are there other, can we create other funk boxes that work with this funk box in the future? In other words, is it a scalable platform in which you could start to, you know, have two or three funk boxes that could work together and involve more than just three kids? It, it was very important that um, this exhibit uh, encourage collaboration. And in other words, that it, it set up a situation in which children or the people engaging with it had to work together um, towards a common goal, which is very important because that's really what a lot of music is about. You know, if you look at a band, it's, it's very different minds coming together into the same sort of temporal space. And so, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that um, it it really encouraged that idea of group collaboration. And so it certainly could extend to other genres. And what's so fascinating about funk music is that, you know, every time I listen to music now, I, I hear funk in it. Um, it yes. it's, it's amazing how much funk music has influenced uh, other genres of music. Um, and so absolutely. And, and I think it's because funk is so infused in other music forms right. that it could easily translate. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, that is such an important point. And I think it's really cool that you were able to pull that from the work that you were doing on this project. And I'm, I'm curious, did you notice anything else? Because you're, you're not from Dayton, correct? You're from New York? No, I'm actually originally from Akron, Ohio, which is oh, northeast. Oh, okay. Ohio. Uh, yeah. 
So, so did that play a role at all in you choosing to do this work because you had kind of roots there or was it just a, an opportunity because of the music? I'm curious about, you know, did you learn anything about Dayton or have a connection there? Well, I actually moved to Dayton. I, I uh, moved to the Oregon district in Dayton actually in 2016. And, um, you know, growing up in Ohio, a lot of bands that I really loved came from Dayton, yeah. which was odd. And so I, I always kind of had this strange little dream to move to Dayton at some point and, uh, and I got my chance. Um, and so uh, what I learned when I got to Dayton just blew my mind. I mean, it's 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 a small Midwestern town, but there's so much innovation that came out of Dayton. And when I learned about, funk, and, you know, having grown up in Ohio, I had no idea that funk had such deep roots in Southwest Ohio and right. in particular in Dayton. So that was very eye-opening for me. Um, and, and uh, you know, I... I I've always loved funk. I really got into it in college and, you know, I, I listened to uh, pretty much anything. Um, and, you know, I sort of went through a funk phase in, in my, uh, in my early twenties. And so this really brought me back. And, and what was great about it though, was that I learned so much about funk music from David Webb and Ricky and Scott and Joseph even, um, and it it was such an eye-opening experience working with uh, those experts and really, you know, learning more about its origins. And um, it was it was just a really fascinating um, process. Um, you know, th I, I think that's why I love doing exhibits and I love what we do as a company because every project's different and you get to learn new things. Um, but the, the biggest eye-opening thing for me was, um, you know, how, how this small little Midwestern town uh, produced so much amazing uh, culture and, and technology. Um, so it, it just, it really reinforced my uh, belief that Dayton really is a, a very special place. Yeah, they say there's something in the water. Yeah, there's <laughs> definitely something in the water. Uh, so there's just so much amazing music and talent that's come out of, like you said, what a relatively small city, not even really the largest city in Ohio, but yeah. it, it's got so much, um, so much culture and soul and depth to it. And, and I find myself, uh, you know, wanting to go back and, and just be there sometimes because there is something really special. And I love that projects like this and, and what David Webb's doing is just making, making it notable for, for people that may really kind of not even notice that that Dayton's a, a thing yeah yeah absolutely well you talked about uh Emily I mean um given the abolitionist background that your ancestors have there there's a, there's a lot of history with regard to that as well and that sort of informs sort of the spirit down there Miami Valley Oregon District see I'm learning so much about these places now fire block Oregon District, Miami Valley, all these places sit inside of Miami Valley, right? 
Uh, yeah, I believe so. I, 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 you know, that whole area, the history, well, you, you, speaking about my ancestry, I, I have roots all the way from Dayton to Cincinnati. So my father's family is from Cincinnati and my mother's from Dayton and all our ancestors for pretty far back, far, like, you know, I've been able to trace back really far and, and several generations have been in Ohio, uh, somewhere in between those two cities, if not in them. And there is a lot of history there of, you know, just not just in music, but sort of in, in just people and in life. And um, it's really interesting how um, some cities choose to preserve that and, and others don't. And I think that Dayton and Cincinnati in particular, but more Dayton does a really good job of seeing the importance of knowing our past so that we yeah. can only repeat the positive things of the past in the future, you know, but not forget the things that maybe weren't so positive. Oh, absolutely. Joseph, has this it sounds like this has made an imprint on you. Are you a musician yourself by any chance? I am. I grew up in a big Catholic family. We all had to pick an instrument. Um, I picked saxophone and um, my sister played drums and she was an amazing drummer. And so I, I, I picked up the drums um, and also uh, guitar and bass. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely... Um, uh, I love music. I love playing it. I love exploring uh, in it. Um, and I, I really, I, I really appreciate what Emily brought up because that was another thing that stood out for me in Dayton was its commitment to its, its history um, and uh, preserving that history. And, you know, Southwest Ohio has uh, a very deep roots in uh, you know, historically uh, black colleges and universities with Central and Wittenberg. And so there's uh, there's really that sense of, um, you know, the pride in its history and, and the preservation of that. And and the connection between Cincinnati and Dayton is 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 really pretty incredible as well. You know, I mean, Bootsy Collins and Catfish Collins came from yeah. Cincinnati and uh, and even Hamilton in between Cincinnati and Dayton. So, mm. And I found out from doing this show, since you both mentioned Cincinnati, Cincinnati is pretty close to uh, the state of Kentucky, right? Oh, right. just across the water. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, OK, because, I, you know, geographically, I don't know if that's near Louisville, where Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali is from. I mean, so much history right there. And yeah. Yeah, close enough. Couple, it's a couple hours from Louisville, but the uh, Cincinnati airport is actually in Kentucky. <laughs> so oh, wow. people don't know that, but you have to cross the bridge to get to the airport. It's just right there, but it's actually not located in, in Cincinnati. Wow, but it's still quite a bit away from East Palestine where that train derailment went awry. I'm sure it's affected because that's a pretty big impact. You know, what What oh, I think man. is so interesting is that Cincinnati is right on the Ohio River. And then there's also the Miami River, which leads into the Ohio. And the Miami River is the one that goes all the way up through Hamilton, which Joseph mentioned, mm. through Dayton. So there's really like when they say there's something in the water, you know, it's a play on words because there was a, a famous book written about the funk history of Dayton named that, but that's actually the water is what connects those cities. And also, you know, all the way back through the history, that's what people followed, you know, when they were building their homes or when they were escaping slavery and this, the water's really important. Hmm. Wow. Well, uh, thank you for that bit of history, both of you. Joseph, what's next for the Funk Box and these projects that you're involved in with David Webb? Uh, where can we hope to see this? 
uh, not only in Dayton, but will it be in your state of New York and maybe perhaps find its way out to the West Coast in California where Emily and I are? What's next for the Funk Box? Yeah, I think um, definitely uh, there's already, it launched at the PNC An uh, Arts Annex in downtown Dayton. And just recently um, they did a week long session there as well with uh, with school groups. Um, and ab absolutely, I think looking at partnerships with other institutions to take it to other um, you know, uh, like-minded institutions is definitely um, in the future. And uh, I think, uh, you know, traveling around uh, the state of Ohio, but definitely outside, I think there were some discussions about um, um, taking the funk box to Pittsburgh at one point. And so, yeah, I think David is really starting to get a lot of traction with it now. And um, and I think the next step is to really um, get it out there, get the word out and, um, and, and, you know, get more and more people exposed to it. Yeah, it seems, Emily, every time we talk about this, there's been some kind of expansive move of the Funk Center uh, from yeah. its inception to the Funk Box. And now Joseph here is involved with it. Uh, great stuff, Joseph Carradine. Uh, Emily, final word from you, uh, representing Dayton. Both Joseph and you know something about Dayton, and I don't. So uh, uh, any final thoughts for Joseph and the audience before we let y'all go? Oh, I just am happy to be here to chat about it. You know how I feel about that city and its history. So I yeah. just appreciate the opportunity to be here. And I, I really um, encourage people to look at the YouTube videos about the Funk Box because I, I learned a bunch of stuff that I didn't even know. And I've been researching this for years. So I just think it's a really cool project and I encourage people to check it out. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much. Joseph, final word for you. What's the best way to keep in touch with you if they want their own version or iteration of the Funk Box? And uh, how do we follow your work? Yeah, definitely. Um, we uh, Our website is uh, testlitstudio.com. And, um, you know, we're, we're looking forward to the next step with the Funk Center in Dayton, Ohio. There's some really exciting news developing on that um in in trotwood which is just outside dayton and um you know we continue to um support them however we can um and continue to work with them uh to see this project through it's it's been a long time in the making and we're we're definitely in it for the long run and uh uh but yeah our you can uh, you can visit our website at tesselitstudio.com and check out our work and and it, we're constantly adding new projects. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time and it repeats once again on Friday evenings from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very, very special guests for the evening. Glenn Boyd, Jamal Jones, Jeffrey Keller, Emily Wessel, and of course, Mr. Joseph Carradine. Also want to send a very, very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care. <laughs>